Master Hakawan's chant in praise of Zazen. From the very beginning all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice, without water no ice, outside us no Buddhas. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. Like one in water, crying, I thirst. Like a child of rich birth, wandering poor on this earth, we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is ego delusion. From dark path to dark path we've wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. Beyond exaltation, beyond all our praises, the pure Mahayana. Upholding the precepts, repentance and giving, the countless good deeds and the way of right living all come from Zazen. Thus one true Samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions. Then where are the dark paths to lead us astray? The pure lotus land is not far away. Hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. And when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, we go beyond ego and pass clever words. Then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Not two and not three, straight ahead runs the way. Our form, now being no form, in going and returning we never leave home. Our thought, now being no thought, our dancing and songs are the voice of the Dharma. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi! How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom! What is there outside us? What is there we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land, and this very body, the body of Buddha. This is April 19th, 2020, and for the Teisho this morning, I'm going to <clears throat> tackle the topic of American overconsumption and look at this lockdown. We're now some five weeks into the social isolation, and most of us uh, isolated at home. How this lockdown gives us the opportunity to at least see how we might correct this virus of overconsumption, and uh, if not, to actually uh, reset, get a fresh start on this. I'm going to start by reading from a book called Affluenza. The subtitle is The All-Consuming Epidemic. Now, this, uh, this book is not a new book. It was published in 2005, 15 years ago. That's the, the second edition of it. The, the first edition was 2001. And uh, it originated as a, even earlier, as a 1997 PBS documentary called Affluenza that was hosted by Scott Simon. Uh, the following year, they came out with a second 
documentary on TV called Escape from Affluenza. Um, It's focused on the treatment of this illness. So, the book is divided into three parts. The first is um, the symptoms of affluenza. The second is the causes. And the third is the treatment. We'll really only have time to run through the symptoms, but uh, I think they're remarkable correspondence to uh, the coronavirus in, 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 in many ways. So I'll just dive into this. Uh, and by the way, uh, this is this affluenza, this, this, uh, I'll go to the, the, uh, simple, concise definition presented by the, uh, authors. Oh, the authors, excuse me. Three authors, John DeGraff, David Wan, and Thomas Naylor. And their little definition of affluenza is a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste, resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. So, chapter one, uh, the first <coughs> of the symptoms they present here is shopping fever. Um, let me just run through quickly the key words in each, each of these chapters. Fever, rash, swelling, congestion, stress, convulsions, dilated pupils, ache, scars, exhaustion, diarrhea, and then virus itself. So the first is shopping fever. And, and, and this is, uh, you know, as, as so often is the case, I'm, I suspect that I'm preaching to the choir that uh, most people who are hearing this show. Um, this is, would be pretty plain and obvious, the excesses that uh, we as a people have um, settled into. Um, but it's, 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 a, it's a neat way to remind ourselves, and, and we all can be reminded of this. You know, there, you would think, I mean, on the surface, that affluenza would be a, primarily a... a uh, a virus of the middle classes uh, and the people who have enough disposable income, middle and upper classes. But the authors uh, say, <coughs> the authors say that the, in their introduction, the virus is not confined to the upper classes. Its symptoms affect the poor as well as the rich. And our two-tiered system, with the rich getting richer and the poor poorer, punishes the poor twice. That said, let's get back to chapter one, shopping fever. Um, now, what's, what's uh, 
so interesting about all of these symptoms is that they're they were written 15 years ago. Um, some have gotten far worse uh, since then. Uh, he talks about in shopping fever about uh, so-called Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, um, which they see as the opening day of affluenza season. Since this book was published, we now have, I guess it's called Cyber Monday. Uh, there's a lot in the book about malls, about our en enslavement to shopping in the malls, but I understand now that malls are uh, disappearing with, uh, as online shopping uh, surges. He, they, the authors present a kind of portmanteau word called spaving, S-P-A-V-I-N-G, spending and saving at the same time. The second chapter, the second symptom is a rash of bankruptcies. <coughs> and uh, they spend quite a bit of time uh, talking about this as, as, a, as a consequence of easy credit, credit cards, uh, that uh, just about everyone now is carrying. And I think this symptom, the bankruptcies and the, the misuse of credit cards, is something that continues certainly to this day. The third chapter, Swollen Expectations. And uh, this, of course, uh, comes from greed one of the three poisons in Buddhism. and But where does greed come from? It comes from fear. Same as uh, anger or hostility, the second of the three poisons. Fear, insecurity, anxiety. The authors talk about uh, our swollen expectations for the usual suspects, houses, cars, tourism, that's much more rampant now uh, in the world. Restaurants, coffee, same thing. The past 15 years, uh, the, the expectations for good coffee, no matter the expense, has gone way up. And now, uh, since this book was published, smartphones, home entertainment, handbags, watches, jewelry, sunglasses, clothes, and our craving for these things. Not everyone, but still an awful lot of people. In the fourth chapter, they, t they mention chronic congestion congestion of, of household goods, consumer products, congestion of, of traffic, vehicles. And they make this nifty little um, statement. If American homes crammed with goods, it more or less could be seen in terms of congestion in the lungs, and highways are the plugged arteries, then air travel is more or less the sneeze that propels affluenza carriers, that means us, through the air. 
They also mention um, among the things of congestion are uh, space debris and junk. That, of course, has uh, proliferated a great deal in the last 15 years. In the fifth chapter, they, they call it the stress of excess. Too much stuff. Too little time. Time pressure. Work. Addiction to work. And I would add, and this would be much more obvious now than 15 years ago, is the wild number of choices in consumer goods. The choices that uh, studies have shown uh, can leave us more unhappy than having uh, just a decent, adequate number of choices. So that's stress. The next chapter is family convulsions, what they call family convulsions, overscheduled kids, family conflicts brought on by overspending, and uh, I would say now, uh, long since that book was published, uh, another form of shopping, shopping for partners, and how online dating, for all the good sense it makes, uh, of course, has uh, a dark side to it, where it's so much easier for uh, married people or, or others in committed relationships uh, to go sniffing around elsewhere uh, online. Next chapter <coughs> they call dilated, dilated pupils. <laughs> uh, the explosion of marketing to children. And that too has just ex exploded even far more in the last 15 years. The next chapter they call community chills. This one I will read a bit from the book itself. Uh, they say that by 1995, as each member of a family often watched his or her own TV, as isolation and passivity became a way of life, what began as a quest for the good life in the suburbs degenerated into private consumption splurges that separated one neighbor from another and one family member from another. They uh, lament, the authors lament, how the bonding that we used to see in families, in neighborliness, uh, in devoted church-going, in going to the Zendo... No, they don't say that and membership and social organizations. They say suburban design often turns a cold shoulder on the neighborhood clan with garage doors that resemble drawbridges, privacy fences that become castle walls, and private mini manors that encourage exclusive lifestyles. Gated communities, Bowling Alone, that famous book, kind of a, uh, a real um, significant, got a lot of, lot of attention. 
how uh, bowling used to be one of those things that people would do in leagues. And uh, evidently, it's become something that people more often do alone or just with their family or immediate friends. Uh, they introduce the idea of social capital, the connections that people that uh, the connections among people that bind a community together. Uh, a, a Harvard political scientist, Robert Putman, observed that the quality of governance varies with the level of involvement in such things as voter turnout, newspaper readership, and membership in choral societies. Once a nation of joiners, we've now become a nation of loners. Volunteering um, is off uh, since 1970, and uh, volunteering, say, for the Red Cross is off 61% since 1970. Of course, all these statistics are old, but uh, it's all all that we have here in this book. Uh, 109 million Americans are volunteering, but many of them do it on the run in shorter installments. So the, so the total time volunteered has declined. The fun factor is a major stimulant now in volunteering. If it's not fun, forget it. A 1998 study revealed that 30% of young adults volunteered because it was fun. 11% said they were committed to the cause. Continuing to read here from this chapter, Internet chat groups, however convenient, are also faceless and fleshless. Well, this is something uh, we read about and hear about all the time now, about the, the dark side of uh, digital devices and social media. There's a sub-chapter sub here in this uh, Community Chills. Um, what happens when affluenza causes communities to be pulled apart or crippled by bad design? We cocoon as a verb there, retreating further and further inward and closing the gate behind us, including secured apartment dwellers, residents of gated communities, prison inmates, and residential security system zealots. At least a fifth of the country now lives behind bars. Now, this is something that well, now we're forced by circumstances uh, to assume is uh, isolation. But he's talking about the larger, the larger problem of uh, loss of community values. How can the nation have a social contract without having social contact? Well, this is the the other side now of uh, of video capacity, video devices, is we are having social contact. It can't compare to the real thing. 
being together, being in one another's presence, but it's a big, big uh, compensation now for our isolation during this pandemic. One last thing under this chapter, uh, as we've disinvested in the public areas and privatized our lifestyles, we're, we're often le we've often left citizenship and care at the front door. So many services are now delivered for a profit by the private sector, we seem to have just gotten out of the habit of taking care of each other. Well, that's one of the ways in which uh, we have a chance now, and, it's, and it is happening, where there are plenty of people now who are waking up to the need that others have to be taken care of and, and people are extending themselves and not just to their families. The next chapter, the key word is ache, another symptoms for affluenza, an ache for meaning. And this is something that... Uh, especially uh, the Sangha, anyone practicing the Dharma can, does not need uh, in this, the short time we have for, to have that elaborated on. It's sort of the fuel for many of us practicing Zen is to find meaning in our lives, the meaning of life and death. I'll just, uh, convey one uh, quote they have from T.S. Eliot. This is from one of his poems. We are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men. In the next chapter, they, they, they call it social scars, class divides, income disparities. <coughs> The winners and losers economy that has gotten far worse since this book was published 15 years ago. Poverty. These are all scars of our, our deeply corrupted capitalist system. Not that a socialist system can't also be corrupted. We know from the Soviet Union and other Cuba and other places like that. Those, of course, aren't democratic socialism. The next chapter is resource exhaustion, the next, the next symptom of affluenza. And here, too, it doesn't need much commentary. Waste, exploitation of the planet, pollution. The next chapter also, they talk a lot about pollution and chemical pollution and other uh, the chapter is called Industrial Diarrhea. And then the last, well, there are two more chapters. One is called The Addictive Virus. I'm going to skip over that one. And the last one is called Dissatisfaction Guaranteed. Well, as everyone here knows, uh, the more we cling to our cravings, our uh, 
unwholesome desires, um, materialistic desires, the more we set ourselves up for dissatisfaction. A much more intelligent thing is to find a way to reduce our desires or to um, to deta- become deta- to find some detachment from our attachments to our desires. So this is all part one of the book, The Symptoms of Affluenza. Part two is The Causes. And uh, I'll just skip to my own interpretation here. And I would say the Zen interpretation, the causes of this disease are greed, anger, and delusion, the three poisons. And these three poisons themselves come from, you could say, an overstuffed mind. The more we are bound to our thoughts and fantasies, uh, the more likely we will succumb to our greed, anger, and delusion. So as far as the causes, let's hear it from Hakuin. The cause of our sorrow is ego delusion. And part three, treatment. And here too, I would propose that if we want to get to the root of the problem, then the real treatment is Zazen, daily Zazen, Sashin as a a big boost uh, in this cure. This is what is so um, appealing about Zen to those of us who do it a long time is the simplicity of it. It's going to the root. Uh, Again, back to Zen Master Hakuin. Upholding the precepts, repentance and giving, the countless good deeds, and the way of right living all come from Zazen. The way of right living, free of affluenza. That's all the time we have for this text, this book, Affluenza. (coughs) And uh, before I read from an article... I want to step back and consider that what we're going through now, the pandemic itself and the isolation, um, we, for, for those of us with faith, we can see this as a correction. Uh, a rebalancing. Things have, our lives, or the the lives of many people in the country have become so out of whack, so caught in excess in all the ways that uh, these authors in affluenza are talking about. The uh, overconsumption uh, that We can see this as, yes, a crisis, a crisis with 
horrors that we could not have hardly imagined uh, two months ago, but at the same time, an opportunity. You know, there's this, this I guess it's kind of a myth that in, in the Chinese character for crisis is composed of two ideographs, two, two characters, one for, for danger and the other for opportunity. Crisis, danger, and opportunity. Uh, I've heard that um, that's not quite right from Chinese scholars say it's not, not quite right, but okay, so it's not quite right in terms of Chinese character, but it's a great truth, isn't it? A crisis presents us with danger and opportunity. And to have faith in some intelligence behind this pandemic. It's not just some horrid mistake, nor is it punishment. Punishment by whom? Buddhism does not buy into a God concept. There's no God such as it's ordinarily thought of as an agent, some supreme controller who makes things happen and does things to people. Um, and there's no evidence of any such God as, a, as, a, as an entity. But in, in, in Zen texts going back for many centuries, we hear about uh, the phrase, the supreme principle. These days, I find myself um, using the word intelligence, capital I intelligence, nothing to do with IQ. But behind these, these even the most terrible things, and I went through this on November 9th, 9th of 2016, behind these things, there is some intelligence, there is an order, an order to all this. Can anyone prove it? No, of course not. But it's a way to reframe things so that we don't get pulled down into our worst ways of thinking about things. Karma. Karma. A law of causation. And you think if you if you um, respect this this concept of affluenza as something that we've been suffering from from for decades, then we can see uh, this as a as the action of uh, the, the reaction of an action <coughs> in in physics. What is that? For every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. Maybe this is it. It's, it's not a matter of true or false. It's a way to perceive what's going on. We're getting a chance to reorder things, starting with our own lives. We're getting a chance to see things in a, in a fresh light. And now I'm going to read from an article 
that was sent to me by several people in the Sangha. So I figure I, there must be there must be other people in the Sangha who haven't read it, but who might get something out of it as I did. It's called Prepare for the Ultimate Gaslighting. And it's by a, uh, the author is Giulio Vincent Gambuto. This is dated uh, April 10th in uh, the uh, online magazine Medium. So first the, the word, the term gaslighting, he starts off by saying, if you don't know it, it's defined as manipulation into doubting your own sanity. As in, Carl made Mary think she was crazy even though she clearly caught him cheating. He gaslit her. And then he begins uh, with the rest of the article. Pretty soon, as the country begins to figure out how we open back up and move forward, very powerful forces will try to convince us all to get back to normal. That never happened. What are you talking about? Billions of dollars will be spent on advertising, messaging, and television and media content to make you feel comfortable again. It will come in the traditional forms, a billboard here, a hundred commercials there, and in new media forms, a 2020-2021 generation of memes to remind you that what you want again is normalcy. In truth, you do want the feeling of normalcy, and we all want it. We want desperately to feel good again, to get back to the routines of life, to not lie in bed at night wondering how we're going to afford our rent and bills, to not wake to an endless scroll of human tragedy on our phones. The need for comfort will be real and it will be strong. And every brand in America will come to your rescue, dear consumer, to help take away that darkness and get life back to the way it was before the crisis. I urge you to be well aware of what is coming. And then I'll be skipping around here. Smart marketers know how to highlight what brands can do for you to make your life easier. But brilliant marketers know how to rewire your heart. And make no mistake, the heart is what has been most traumatized this past month. We are, as a society, now vulnerable in a whole new way. And I've just, by way of comment, that's, that's the opportunity, our vulnerability. Vulnerability means we can be reached. We can care. We can feel. It's, it implies an openness. We're de-armored to some degree. Receptive. But also vulnerable. It's a great time for reflection about things that matter. He continues... What the trauma has shown us, though, cannot be seen. No, excuse me, cannot be unseen. A carless Los Angeles has clear blue skies as pollution has simply stopped. 
In a quiet New York, you can hear the birds chirp in the middle of Madison Avenue. Coyotes have been spotted on the Golden Gate Bridge. These are the postcard images of what the world might be like if we could find a way to have a less deadly daily effect on the planet. What's not fit for a postcard are the other scenes we have witnessed. A health care system that cannot provide basic protective equipment for its front line. Small businesses and very large ones that do not have enough cash to pay their rent or workers, sending over 16 million people, it's up to 22 million now, since this article was published, to seek unemployment benefits, a government that has so severely damaged the credibility of our media that 300 million people don't know who to listen to for basic facts that can save their lives. The cat is out of the bag. We as a nation have deep, deeply disturbing problems. You're right. That's not news. They are problems we ignore every day, not because we're terrible people or because we don't care about fixing them, but because we don't have time. Sorry, we have other shit to do. The plain truth is that no matter our ethnicity, religion, gender, political party, the list goes on, nor even our socioeconomic status, as Americans, we share this, we are busy. We're out and about hustling to make our own lives work. We have goals to meet and meetings to attend and mortgages to pay, all while the phone is ringing and the laptop is pinging. It is very easy to close your eyes to a problem when you barely have enough time to close them to sleep. And he makes the point that we do care because we're human beings. We do care. We just don't have the time, we don't make the time, to do anything about it. And then, well, the treadmill you've been on for decades just stopped. Bam! And that feeling you have right now is the same as if you'd been thrown off your Peloton bike and onto the ground. What in the holy fuck just happened? I hope you might consider this. What happened is inexplicably incredible. It's the greatest gift ever, ever unwrapped. Not the deaths, not the virus, but the great pause. It is, in a word, profound. Please don't recoil from the bright light beaming through the window. I know it hurts your eyes. It hurts mine, too. But the curtain is wide open. What the crisis has given us is a once-in-a-lifetime chance, literally once-in-a-lifetime chance, to see ourselves and our country in the plainest of views. At no other time ever in our lives have we gotten the opportunity to see what would happen if the world simply stopped. Here it is. We're in it. Stores are closed. Restaurants are empty. Streets and six-lane highways are barren. Even the planet itself is rattling less. And because it is rarer than rare, it has brought to light all of the beautiful and painful truths of how we live. And that feels weird, really weird. Because it has never happened before. 
if we want to create a better country and a better world for our kids, and if we want to make sure we are even sustainable as a nation and as a democracy, we have to pay attention to how we feel right now. I cannot speak for you, but I imagine that you feel as I do, devastated, depressed, and heartbroken. Again, the vulnerability. Pay attention to how we feel right now. How do we do that? We have this method that's 2,500 years old of turning the mind back and looking. These are my words now, not from the article. We can look and see what's going on in our own minds and our own hearts. And through that, we have the promise of not succumbing to the depression and so forth. He, uh, he again talks about his belief in Americanism, <laughs> whatever that is. But then he says, but its flaws have been laid bare for all to see. It doesn't work for everyone. It's responsible for great destruction. It is so unevenly distributed in its benefit that three men own more wealth than 150 million people. Its intentions have been perverted and the protection it offers has disappeared. We have got to do better and find a way to, to a responsible free market. And then he continues, until then, get ready, my friends. And now this is, this is <laughs> um, back to this wonderful term, affluenza. It's coming back, he says. What is about to be unleashed on American society will be the greatest campaign ever created to get you feel nor to feel normal again. It will come from brands. It will come from government. It will even come from each other. And it will come from the left and from the right. We will do anything, spend anything, believe anything, just so we can take away how horribly uncomfortable all of this feels. And on top of that, just to turn the screw that much more will be the one effort that's even greater. The all-out blitz to make you believe you never saw what you saw. Okay, the gaslighting. The air wasn't really cleaner. Those images were fake. The hospitals weren't really a war zone. Those stories were hyperbole. The numbers were not that high. The press is lying. You didn't see people in masks standing in the rain risking their lives to vote. Not in America. You didn't see the leader of the free world push an unproven miracle drug like a late-night infomercial salesman. That was a crisis update. You didn't see homeless people dead on the street. You didn't see inequality. You didn't see indifference. You didn't see utter failure of leadership and systems. Well, I have to say, some of those things, uh, I don't believe we will buy into them being fake. We've got the, we've seen the images. We still have them on record. We have the photographs. We have the video clips, but uh, I think his point is 
true in as much as the effort will be to blur it for political reasons. Then he says, after saying you didn't see indifference, you didn't see utter failure of leadership and systems, he says, but you did. You are not crazy, my friends. And so we are about to be gaslit in a truly unprecedented way. Business and government are about to band together to knock us unconscious again. It will be funded like no other operation in our lifetimes. It will be fast. It will be furious. And it will be overwhelming. The great American return to normal is coming. From one citizen to another, I beg of you, take a deep breath, ignore the deafening noise, and think deeply about what you want to put back into your life. This phrase, take a deep breath, I think those of us in Zen practice, we can take that to mean sit, sit every day. Get to Sashin if you can when we start having them again. And we will. Take a deep breath. Stop. Pause. Look. See. What matters. He ends by saying we can do it locally in our communities, in what organizations we support, what truths we tell, and what events we attend. And we can do it nationally in our government, in which leaders we vote in and to whom we give power. If we want cleaner air, we can make it happen. If we want to protect our doctors and nurses from the next virus and protect all Americans, we can make it happen. If we want our neighbors and friends to earn a dignified income, we can make that happen. If we want millions of kids to be able to eat if suddenly their school is closed, we can make that happen. And yes, if we just want to live a simpler life, we can make that happen too. But only if we resist the massive gaslighting that is about to come. It's on its way. Look out. I can't quite relate to... uh, this big warning about gaslighting. Um, maybe people who do a daily practice have the, their wits about them enough. They're, they're aware, they're aware enough uh, that this really isn't such a threat. Uh, it, must, it sure must be to him, the way he keeps emphasizing it. But the wider point is, it says, if we just want to live a simpler life, we can make that happen too. Making a simpler life begins with simplifying the mind. Everything begins with the mind. What is going on in the mind? Simplify, simplify, simplify. Have faith that underneath all of this hellish pandemic, there is some kind of reordering, correction. There's some kind of intelligence. In Zen, we call it our essential nature, true mind, capital M, mind. Sit, 
not just for our own balance, but so that we can help rebalance our country and the world. Our time is up. We'll stop now and recite the four vows. <coughs> All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain.